My guest today on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast is Jim Kelly, the director of the ChangeWorks Institute in Portland, Oregon. At ChangeWorks Institute, they are committed to bringing you the essential skills you need to make lasting, even permanent changes in your habits, in the way you think, and in how you feel about your challenges as you learn to live a more fun, adaptive, and productive life. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Jim Kelly, welcome to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you. Fun to be here. Well, let's hope so. Hope so. Hope, we'll hope you out. enjoy it. You know, yeah, we'll see how well you hold up to the scrutiny that I'm going to place you under the fine and intense spotlight of what <laughs> the heck is your take on coaching. So before we start, though, Jim Kelly, it's really lovely to see you. you um, you've you been around NLP. You've been around coaching for a long time, yes. um, need I say, and, and uh, we've known each other for quite some time as well. And it's, it seems to me like you're kind of an unsung, I don't know, hero is the wrong word, but you, People don't know you as much as you should be known, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. And I've been under the radar on purpose. I have. Okay. Well, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to come out and start talking until I had something worth hearing. <laughs> I think, think maybe you've been a little hard on yourself. having. I probably have. But I think it should be worth it. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. So yeah. tell me, what is your take on coaching? Because, you know, for me, NLP started off, you know, I started doing NLP back in the 80s probably after you did, but um, nevertheless, we were doing NLP therapies. You know, that's what they called it. Tony Robbins, Richard Bandler, we, we called it, I'm going to do a therapy, an NLP therapy thing. And then somewhere along the line, people just started doing, calling it coaching. It was the same thing as far as I could tell. Coaching evolved as a, on a sort of different pathway with Thomas Leonard and others, but NLP coaching seemed to be just the same thing we'd always been doing, just calling it coaching. Now, that's my take on it, but what's your take on coaching? Well, you know, that that coaching thing that you're talking about is interesting because in the United States, there's licensure requirements for what type of work you're doing with somebody. Mm. And if we make statements that are a bit too clinical, somebody might throw the flag in, in you know, in court someday. And mm, the, the mm. problem is, is not so much about, you know, having uh, triggering some type of enforcement but getting named, in a, you know, in a wrongful death lawsuit or some other type of quality of life problem that a person mm. has. So we have to be very careful about making sure that we call it coaching and staying in the coaching lane. And, uh, you know, the therapy lane is going to be more diagnostic. It's going to be more about the uh, root cause and, you know, tell me about your mother and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's going to okay. be very a different conversation. The coaching conversation is, you know, how do we get things going? How do we move things in your direction? And how do we get you to goals that you really, you know, want to meet uh, that are worth meeting? So, it, you know, my take on coaching, I like to do what Stephen Covey suggests and begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And what that, that doesn't mean that I have a fully formulated, you know, like exactness, but I do like to go s- stepwise into where we want to end up. 
So I like to start with a question that represents the aspirational goal that I hold out for everyone, which is, as you've heard me say many times, if everything were easier and more fun, would that be okay? And since the obvious answer is clearly yes, then how do we get there? Richard Bandler, co-developer of NLP said, learn to think on purpose and to optimize that thinking with models that work well. And I find I've thoroughly taken that to heart. That really makes a lot of sense to me. Models, as you know, you've seen some of my graphics and you've heard me talk, I'm always on the models uh, because it gives us good reference points and it gives us predictability. So as important uh, to my way of thinking is also how Stephen Gilligan talks about the whole person possessing the qualities of mindful awareness with differentiated wholeness. Now, that does sound like a psychotherapy term, and in fact it is, but it, it, it really means a lot to me because psychotherapy and those tools, as I'll talk about in a few minutes, have really meant a lot to me in the development of my skills. So that's the big, big picture for me and what I hold dear every day because it, it works. Mm -hmm. So yeah. At the, yeah, so at the broadest scale, my approach to coaching recognizes that people operate within two systems under three umbrellas. Here we are, models okay. that work, right? That's the way my head works, right? So these two systems... Okay. Hold on a second, hold on a second. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, right. I, I get... Fortunately, we're recording this, so I do get a lot <laughs> of note takers uh, over the years, and uh, and I really encourage it because, well, I really want you to, you know, learn how to use this yourself. And it took me all of my life to learn how to use this and a lot of mentors. And so I love it when people thank you. It's a big compliment when somebody takes out a pen and says, hold on, let me write that down. I'm ready. Go ahead. Yeah, right. So uh, if people operate in two systems. Those two systems are internal and external worlds that we live in all day, every day. And the internal system includes things like thinking, feeling, memory, decision making and taking action. And external world, this other system, uh, is made up of things like other people, objects, the laws of nature, rocks are hard, water is wet, and the realities of the physical world with us in it. So we could also say the two systems are our subjective experience and objective reality, internal and external. Got it. Right. So I yeah. use processes and questions that explore how these internal and external systems work and how well they work or not for producing desirable outcomes. Cool. So that's the two systems. Now there's three umbrellas. Okay. The three umbrellas we look at, I like to look at are uh, in terms of the in internal and external experience or communications, relationships and wellness. Um, it's what people are concerned about all the time. And these three elements are key to how people manage their internal and external worlds. Our self-directed change work method brings awareness and helps folks build skills that are useful for working under these three umbrella elements in this, this kind of valence between the internal and external world. So when people come to me, their quality of world is out of balance and their present state or situation is not working for them the way that they need it to. Right. So we, you know, in NLP and we tend to talk about this in terms of present state, desired state, uh, you know, predicament state, uh, solution state, that sort of thing. I, I like to just kind of keep it a little bit bigger, um, bigger piece than that. 
and uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, it's just not working for them the way they need it to. There's a change that needs to be made. So they recognize this, they want to engage in doing something about it. So this is what I refer to as a transitional call, right? They're being called to make a change. And at this point, they have a binary decision. They either they accept that they have a problem and live with it, or they move away from the problem and you know try and medicate it out of existence or run from it, uh, from from this call, this transitional call uh, to make a change, or they decide to turn and face it, turn towards. You've heard me talk about turning towards and make that change. Really see if they can do it. So once they've decided to move towards that change they want or need, they know they want to move away from their present state or situation and toward a more desirable future. One that would work better if they can get to it. And this gives birth to what I call their transitional desire. Hmm. So a transitional call and transitional desire are really cool, but that gives you a problem when you, when you, when you embrace it. Right. And you've got tons of experience with this and with clients, you, you understand, uh, you know, how this works in your own vernacular way of thinking about it but mm -hmm. what i like to do is get this model down and make it really explicit it gives people a lot of power and choice so they've got a problem and as the desire sets in they often feel like they're in a spotlight like uh-oh or what neurology would call like an autonomic freeze like what am i uh -oh, what am i going to do i'm caught out and they need to know something to do but they're not sure what that is yet mm -hmm. and so they try things and they read things and so forth but eventually they come to you they come to me they come to other coaches, <clears throat> therapists, teachers, <clears throat> and they're looking to get their bearings and start to develop a strategy for change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in helping people process the gap between their present situation, A, and desired future situation, B, process, I call it processing the gap, it seems that what holds most people back is some combination of factors around stress, control, expectations, metaphors, and self-talk. These things trip folks up, make them things confusing and hard to work with. It's not easy. It's not fun. And they don't feel like they're okay. So it helps to know which of these factors is tripping them up, stress, control, expectations, metaphors, self-talk, maybe what order and context they appear in and what combinations are in play. When there's a transitional call and then the desire sets in to answer and address that call, their world is out of whack and they want it back in whack. Mm -hmm. you know, you've heard me say that before. It's out of whack and I want my whack back, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the quality of their experience is at stake, right? Often, literally, their quality of life is out of balance and they want to move quickly from not knowing and not able to transformation and change. They're looking for answers. They haven't found them yet. And they're wondering if the steps that we're taking them through as coaches and, you know, are really the right steps to get that transformation. And I feel strongly that we got to stay on our toes, remain flexible and in rapport and wonder the same thing. Are the steps we're taking them through the exact steps they need? So that's where everything kind of starts for me. That's sort of the, the background of the self-directed change work stuff that I do and change work coaching. Right away, I like to start by exploring their experience of themselves as they consider their problem by taking a look at three states that everyone deals with in order to work on an issue. You'll recognize these from like speaking confidence things, like some of our colleagues do some great work with speaking. And uh, you and I have mutual friends, uh, at least one mutual friend that's great at that. 
Um, and I ask, I, I ask clients or folks how they approach, how they encounter, and how they connect with their problem. So this is the approach, encounter, connect. So the first two things are binary decision, engage or not engage with a change. The next part is the approach, encounter, connect piece. And then I use a series of questions related to their strategies, thoughts, feelings, and actions as they approach, encounter, and connect with the change work they've decided to, to tackle. And then that takes me to the change work coaching model uh, which draws similar distinctions to those often made in a psychotherapy session where they talk about, you know, how is your problem constructed? How do we differentiate the parts? How do we integrate the parts back together in a healed way? And how do we link them back into the ecology of your life? That's kind of a psychotherapy thing, right? Well, in change work coaching model, I adapted that. And, and it's very much an NLP terms that you'll recognize loosening their model of their problem and exploring how to remodel it. So loosen, loosen the model, yep. Invest, right? Mindset, investigate their mindset about the problem and explore how to make that mindset more useful and then get solution oriented and develop options for solutions to the problem. So, you know, but still, we, it really only finishes well when you link it all back together and finishes with a solid ecology, ecology check and a durability check, really what I call a sanity check, and make sure we link up all the differentiated and reintegrated parts into a useful whole. A solution is not a solution until we discover whether it's a trustworthy and sane solution. And while this includes several factors, basically it's gotta be sustainable and ecological in the context of their lives. This is really well-formedness in application right beautiful yeah. so that's incredibly clear and could you just repeat the part that said hi my name's jim um, <laughs> could you say what you said repeat that part Hello, that? My name's jim. <laughs> i'll be i'll be taking i'll be taking the blender to your brain today uh but you know what's so cool about this is it really redraws the map you know and it, and it it's like go oh that's right so you know yeah no, I, I, I'm kidding. I, I did follow probably 75% of that um, as far as like being able to sort of say, okay, I, I could write, I could write that down. I could represent that. I could see that. And just, I mean, that was just a lot in a short amount of time. But what I did get from that is that it is a very clear map for you. And yeah. it's a very, you know, that you can, you know, once you get used to that, that map, you can go like, oh, okay, this is where it's off a little bit or this. So it's a great like kind of diagnostic framework and directional um, pointing tool to say, okay, now I'm going to go this way with this person. And I love the idea that the, um, that, you know, the solution isn't a solution until it's actually, you know, implemented and functional and it's ecological. So that they can right. do it. They can that continue doing it. And trying to do it. Yeah. What's that? It doesn't make you crazy trying to do it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, okay, now that's a solution that I can live with. Right. Right. I'm all about easy use, man. You know, I mean, come on. Life is hard enough without, you know, let's make it clear. That's why I've worked so hard to make this clear. And I understand that the way that I talk about this kind of sounds like a, a PhD dissertation, but that's, you know, really, I don't know how to make it any more simple without losing the meaning because no, that's now, right. 
That's you right. Know, I mean, as, as as Einstein once said, you know, because you know we used to hang out. Um, Einstein, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many times I heard him say this. Yeah. Albert, yeah, I just called him. Uh, <laughs> but he said a a solution should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. Right. Know, that there's there's complexity. Humans and beings are are complex critters. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's far too easy to say. Let's just change your state and everything's going to be fine. It's like. Well, yeah, that's going to be good. Um, and there might be a little bit more complexity than just that. So question for you, the, the three umbrellas yes. and the two systems, is that like basically five areas or is it the three umbrellas go within each, like the three goes into the internal and three umbrellas go into the external. So there's like six. Well, you know, examination. that's a great, that is an outstanding question because what what I basically have done with everything is I, now constantly chunking up and down Korzybski style, right? Hmm. And I want to know what the top priority is. What's the highest level of, of applicability? Robert Diltz does a great job with this, hmm. you know, in the way that he constructs his hierarchies. He starts with sort of God purpose universe, works his way down to identity, works his way down to beliefs and values. And then it's like, what are you capable of and how much can you do, right? Capacity, capability, then we start working on, you know, behaviors and environment. So mm -hmm. I really like hierarchies because it helps us organize what we're thinking about. And the more organized we are in what we're thinking about, the less we have to worry about what we're thinking about, right? The less we have to worry about magical thinking, the less we have to worry about whether we're missing anything or not. Intuition is super important, but boy, you know, it, it, I, we see it too often when when uh, when all a person has you know is a hammer the whole world looks like a nail mm. we need to be able to go beyond intuition and start really using some precision techniques which is i think what nlp aims at and or you know at least in spirit use some precision techniques to just say oh this is what it is and now i'm gonna just relax and know that i know as much as i need to know it, I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to pray. I don't have to do any fairy dust or magic wands. It's just like, this is your deal. This is what you're working on. Get practical about it. And let's work on what you have resources to work on. Right. So that's why this sounds so dense, because it really kind of redraws the map of what's possible in coaching. And I haven't even talked about the little piece about self-directed change work method yet. You, you mentioned it. I let it slide because yeah, it came out of your I, mouth. Let, I heard it. Let me let me run let me run through that explanation a little bit and okay. see if you find it useful to help with the big picture. Yeah, because oh. we had a decision, so there's two things to do there. You're either towards or away, right? Right. So that's the decision point number one. We check those states. What's happening when you approach, encounter, and connect? What's happening with that? Right. We check that out. Then we went to the four part piece. And we talked about loosening the model, mm -hmm. dif differentiating the parts, getting your mindset right and more in order, explored, sorted, sorted out, you know, and, and then working towards solutions, reintegration, and then ecology check and durability. So that's four. So it's two, three, four. And now we're going to take a quantum leap to nine pieces and the cool thing about these nine pieces is that they're organized along three channels, foundation, pathway, and practice. So one of the main, one of the main tools I use to help 
develop options and uncover sane, reliable solutions is what I've come to call the self-directed change work method. Cool. It's a nine-step process, sets a foundation, develops a pathway, and reveals what practices you need to get results on demand. People are always trying to jump ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. And I'm always like, whoa, hold on a second. You've got to build a foundation first before you have any idea if this is ecological, yeah, yeah. right? So unlike the first two coaching sequences, approach counter connect and the change work coaching model, which primarily operate in the realm of subjective experience, the self-directed change work method operates more in the realm of the external world or objective reality, right? What's the data? What's true? What's factual? Not my opinion about what's factual, but what's factual. And it's about how to operationalize solutions, sanity, processes, and procedures in the world. And while I really like helping people discover the steps they need to take to get from A to B, their present state to a more desirable state, the main goal of the self-directed change work method is to make it teachable and replica replicable. <laughs> Easy for me to say, right? <laughs> it can be repeated. I, you, you can do it. You can totally do this. You don't need me to do it. Once you learn the steps to the dance, you too can do the electric shuffle, right? So, uh, right. So I'm much more interested in teaching a method that, that you can use over and over again, not only to solve an immediate problem, but also to equip you to solve future problems on your own and with greater ease than ever before. Nice. Yeah. More one practices and works with this coaching, the change work coaching, the self-directed change work method, the more they can consistently find that place of wellness and well-being enjoy better relationships with themselves, with others, and with their purpose, and experience more success with all their communications, internal and external, because mm -hmm. communication is also internal, as you know. So it's easier, it's more fun, and you get to be okay. And that's what I like. Yeah, very cool. Very like cool. You get to be okay, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You got you to gotta earn it. But once you've earned it, you get to keep it. And that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's, you call it self-directed change work, but, you know, obviously it's a fairly complex model. I mean, it's simple enough to function, but it's, it's fairly complex for most people who've never heard it before. So right. it's self-directed after they learn the dance steps. So you got to teach them the dance steps as, as you put it. You do, but it's a really easy dance to learn. Okay. You know, did you yeah. ever try and go line dancing? My ex-wife took me <laughs> line dancing and oh my gosh, I could, <laughs> that was the most frustrating experience. You know, I, I could never do it. But I've really, if once you kind of get the hang of the self-directed change work method, it's actually pretty darn easy. Yeah. It's yeah. just set up on really intuitive pathways. You know, no, I'm like, getting that. And, you know, you told me about this a while back. And and at yeah. first I was like, holy Jesus, this is just like. <laughs> I know. You PhD. were like, just read, give me the book, man. <laughs> PhD. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the more I'm hearing you talk about it, the more it's like, oh, wait, no, I see. No, I get it. Oh, yeah, go from there. To, that makes sense. You know, it, it does have this. You know, it's, it's not just complex for the sake of being complex. It's, oh, no, it's no. like Einstein said, it's, it's simple, but not so simple that it's too simple. It's simple enough, but just enough to, to get the, the, the map. So you actually can get from, you know, here to there. There's a map that you can follow. And once you know that pathway, and you know, once you know the steps, you can do the dance. Right, right. And it's easier to map the map, to, to match the map with the territory as you process the gap between A and B, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, you go to the Museum of Modern Art and you see a Henry Moore, you yeah. have to describe something that's a hologram, right? 
I mean, you have to describe something three dimensional. Andrew Calder, you know, at the Washington National mm-hmm. Museum, True. it's this huge structure that has it's in three dimensions. It's in space and it's in a space. And how do you describe the experience of mm. that? Right? Yeah. Except yeah. go and do it. it as you know. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, you can go to a Van's Go exhibit and you can go, wow, look at the way he put the paint on the canvas. It's two-dimensional, it's approachable, it's easy to understand, and it's relatively easy to describe. But three-dimensional stuff, like a person's real-life experience, is much more challenging to describe, and that's the challenge that I started tackling about 15 years ago. (laughs) And so, you know, when I tell you a little bit more about what my background is and how I got here, you'll understand how I became this version of me that I am, you know, well, I'd like, I'd, I'd be fascinated to know that. So yeah. how did this, how did this current version of you get to pass? When did you start learning NLP? You were like, like 1959. I mean, you're like, you <laughs> No, he's that right. I got in early. I got in in the 1940s, right after the war. Right uh, after Richard was born. Me and Richard were, no, but um, seriously, what 1980 1970 something when were you early when i picked up my first book but my 77 i got the i got the structure of magic at the university of texas in austin bookstore and it was in the used section by the way somebody else had bought it new and they had gone through it and anyway my history with nl's and stuff goes way back in my life. Okay. I was raised in part around a great, my great uncle, Alden Truesdale, who had learned hypnosis in the 1920s and used what hypnosis and NLP practitioners today may know as, you know, kind of large category awareness training or ego strengthening, right? Mm -hmm. And spiritual psychology, you know, that's really what he was uh, using hypnosis for is to get you tuned up for that. And he called what he practiced for over 50 years metaphysics. And it really was just that it was a meta approach to being and doing, Mm. seeing oneself as one is embedded, embedded and embodied in this vertically and horizontally oriented world, floating in a universe filled with light a universe and our world that holds everything in a constantly moving constructive cycle. And I learned a lot from uncle Alden. His model of the world so. This is your uncle Alden telling you all this. How old was it? Yeah, that's, that's mind bending stuff for a, a kid. How old are you? The coolest? Yeah. My grandmother was his first student and my mother was the next generation of students. And I was his last generation of students. Wow. And so um, I learned, so his model of the world was wholeness oriented. Okay. What today we might call generative or quantum superposition. And he used to say all things in right relation, one to the other, one thing to the next. Right. And I would be like, you know, I was five listening to this. (laughs) And he, he, so he trained us in meditation and contemplative prayer. Get out of here. He did. He trained us about the four-part breath, which is a really uh, solid. When you were five? I was probably younger than that when he first started showing it to me. My mother knew how to do it. Her mother knew how to do it. Right? So this when is I was a five. I was trying to tie a shoe, for God's sake. It's like, oh, oh, no, do I I was... go around the little tree thing. The bunny comes out the hole. It's like, 
<laughs> I know. I was, I was, I was, I was just a weird kid trying to figure out why, why did my karma bring me to this family? But anyway, you know, he trained us about the four-part breath, vertical, horizontal, and physical and consciousness integration. Believe it or not, he really did was training us about that. Um, how time works within and around us, and frames. He gave us frames for constructive and basically constructing a positive factual narrative, not a positive imaginary narrative like, oh, and then Snow White, you know, woke up. Mm -hmm. No, not like that at all. He was super interested in reality. He was empirical, zero zilch, none, no magical thinking, none, no magical thinking. And he loved the beauty and perfection of our world and the universe and all of the physical inner inner being of it, the interrelatedness. So that was an amazing background for me to sort of be born into. Yeah, really. And, and that, of course, it informs my work, right? And it, that's why all of this stuff is so intense because I've been doing it for 62 years. <laughs> and my mother did it back into the 30s and her mother did it back into the 20s wow. because her sister was married to uncle alden and they were very very close so you know that's how i kind of got the whole metaphysics thing and hypnosis and i've, I've literally been doing hypnosis for over 60 years wow. no idea what i'm doing even if i'm a kid but when i started learning about it when i was five six seven years old i would do little hypnosis parlor tricks with my friends and my mother would be like jimmy kelly don't you do that <laughs> don't you do that to your friends it's not nice you know and i'd be like yeah we clucked like a chicken it was so funny <laughs> and uh you know so anyway that's kind of the hypnosis part and the and the metaphysics of really understanding the relationship of things and our, my relationship to the world, your relationship to the world, and being able to make sense of this incredible hologram of this whole experience. Now, in 1974, an English teacher made the primer of Jungian psychology required reading for his class. All of that was an eye-opener and shed a, a lot of light on what Uncle Alden had been teaching me. And shortly thereafter, I got a subscription to Psychology Today and read <laughs> and read every issue for the rest of my high school years, which did not make me more popular, by the way, at home or at school, because I was constantly kind of grr, tied up all the time thinking about like troublesome thoughts about people's skewed realities, especially my own. I was like, no way, this is I, there's no way what I'm thinking is true. Right. And I just it used to just bug the crap out of me. So then. All the way up into 1977, I was in the University of Texas at Austin campus bookstore, came across Bandler and Grinder Structure of Magic, which I found very exciting that a bona fide university had textbooks on magic tricks. I was like, yeah, magic tricks, press to digitation, I'm ready. So I took it all, opened it up. It didn't have any magic tricks in it. No, it didn't. <laughs> but I was happy to find <laughs> I was happy to find that the book made a lot of sense to me based on everything else that I've been reading and learning. Yeah. And everything that Uncle Alden would have talked to you about as well. It's like, you know, yeah. no magical thinking. It's not magic in that way. Right. And for some young in psychology and philosophy books that I liked and religion books that I liked and you know, I used to love uh, studying art with my mom because she was going, you know, she was getting a degree and uh, in fine art. And so I studied that with her. I was just a little kid and I was really interested in the way people do models of the world. So the family systems pieces and the meta model were troublesome to me, uh, but I was really into it. And so while at college, I studied philosophy, history, beer, mostly 
Yeah, not, yeah, studied beer. They go well together. Uh, very important. <laughs> I, I didn't hardly get a good beer until yesterday. But anyway, uh, eventually ending up at St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico, reading their great books program and learning how to think about things. And that's been me ever since. Curious, mm-hmm. worried, maybe, scared, often scared, always stubbornly believing that answers can be found. Things can go better. And I'm going to figure out how. You know, I got that Irish nice. thing, right? So as time yeah. went on, family and career overtook me. The NLP world looked distant and confusing, so I stayed out of it. And about 25 years ago, even though I kept my head in the game with and regularly used ideas like what I found in the structure of magic and hypnosis, what I communications, what I'd learned about hypnosis from my uncle Alden, about 25 years ago, my life got out of whack. And I eventually met some great therapists and NLP practitioners, and I became a serious student of NLP, positive psychology, social learning theory, humanistic spiritual psychology, cognitive and dialectical behavioral therapy, systems development, family systems, and cybernetics. It's interesting Mm -hmm. when you look up cybernetics, they mention family systems. It's a system that's able to respond to its own conditions. Hmm. And that's how cool cybernetics really are. So this is what I love about NLP, the language work and experience filtering. It's wonderful to have a sense about time and hierarchies and motivation and success. Plus, NLP is perfect for me because it's eclectic and it's ecumenical by design, Mm -hmm. which offers scaffolding to explore the science of personality and experience. And it offers a collection of ideas that support and encourage the use of constructivist cognitive tools and ideas, all of which can activate choice and constructive assessment of both process and progress. So as a coach and a counselor, I can give you a lot of fish and I continue, I love to continuously do that, but my heart's desire is what's really best for you. So I aim to teach you to fish. Hmm. That's where I came up with the self-directed change work method. Right. And I, I use my NLP skills and include other pieces I like to add and include This is what makes me a little different. I bring in these elements of parallel processes to enhance results. And I've also been uh, inspired by NLP's culture of co-development, regardless how it came to be. But it does have a culture of co-development. And my aim with self-directed change work method is to join in on that and make a few relevant comments by working with clients, doing some research, reporting my findings, naming a complementary system, you know, models that work, and adding what I my comment to this vast goodness that is NLP that I first found in 1977. So I've grown and been a been a beneficiary of it ever, ever since. So that's that's kind of my you know uh, yeah. my history with it with NLP. Yeah, I just have a, a, a little question for you. The um, when you said the word choice before, you you no one can tell because this is an auditory podcast, but you you made little air quotes. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Why was that? Big on spatial markers. I'm a hand talker. You know. <laughs> why choice? Why was choice? In it? Right. Why? Why? Well, some things look like choices when they're not, mm. and other things, you know, we really need to add choices, and we'd be a lot better off. <laughs> so, you know, uh, choice is one of those uh, tripwire words that can really. Uh, make you think you know what you're talking about when maybe you don't. 
And I'm always checking myself on that. You know, am I a guy in a diner talking out my neck? Or do I actually like saying something that's worthwhile? When I talk about choice is better than no choice, do I have any idea how my choices are getting developed right now? Mm -hmm. So that's why I air quoted that because okay, gotcha. it's a tripwire word to me. What, when, did, when did you meet Richard Bandler in person? <laughs> Richard, what a great guy. You know, I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to say that in, in decent company, but uh, I think he's great because he's so authentic. Yeah. And the, first, the first time I met him, was, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. The first time I met him yeah. was a trainer's training. And it was the uh, it was uh, at, 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 at breakfast before trainer's training. I walked over to him and I shook his hand. He's trying to eat breakfast for Pete's sake. You know, I did this to Bob Hope one time, made him really mad. And he, I was just a little kid. But I walked up to Bandler and I just said, you know, thank you so much for the contribution you've made to my life. I've been reading your stuff since I was a young teenager, 17 years old. And it's changed everything for me. And the fact that I'm here today is totally blowing my mind. And thanks for doing this. And so that was the first time I met him. And he looked at me like, I'm eating, you know, <laughs> talk to him a little bit. The program starts in an hour. And, uh, and no, but he was very cordial, of course. I don't know if you've talked to him probably as much or more than I have, but I think he can be very, very nice. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he's quick to go. He's quick to put the shields up, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of famous people do because um, they don't know who's coming at them. So that was my first meeting, and that was in 2010. Oh, really? That recently? Yeah, that recently. Yeah. I mean, I've been in his, I've been in his books for 33 years before I actually met him. Wow. 23 years. How do I do math? Not well. 33. <laughs> <laughs> before you met him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Right, right, right. Wow, so yeah. interesting. I thought you guys were going way back. I thought I had an image of you and Richard Bandler hanging out in the 70s. Guess not. Well, it's that deep trance identification. Right, right. right. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, I've been reading his books and listening to, watching his videos for the longest time. And so when I met him, I felt like I was meeting somebody I already knew. Yeah, right. No, but, I've had that experience, yeah. Right. And you know me pretty well. I kind of never met a stranger. You know, I tend to get, to get to know people real fast and a lot of people are not comfortable with that, but it's part of my whole training mm -hmm. going back to three generations. It's like, you know, I, I love people. I really do. And I'm really grateful to Bandler and Grinder for what they did and everybody else who came in and contributed, you know, all the way through you and that amazing sleight of mouth program you did a couple of weeks ago when you did that challenge. And now you've got a cohort going, you know, I mean, you and everybody before us have done a wonderful job of adding to the toolkit. You know, Tony has, Michael Grinder has, Robert Diltz, no, anybody more than Robert Diltz? I don't think so. Mm, I mean, right. the guy's amazing, right? Yeah. So yeah, sleeps in a pyramid. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so I, I, I just really felt very strongly that, you know, he and I connected like that. And I think it's because we're both kind of awkward and strange and think about stuff that other people don't necessarily think about, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That, that's my history with him. So let me ask you a question. Now um, it's, it's, it's just been like pulling teeth with you, Jim. I, I just haven't gotten a single word out of edgewise. It's like, it's yes, no, it's been, this is the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> let me see if I can extract some answer from yeah. you. Right. Um, Come on. <laughs> um, Help me out here. <laughs> but this, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is called the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Um, many people who are listening, I, I, I'm imagining, as I've said in other podcasts, I don't really know who's listening for sure. I imagine that people who are listening obviously would have some interest in coaching. But I'm, I imagine that most of them are looking to be uh, better coaches than they are, or maybe just getting started in coaching, like at all, like just getting started. So if a person is in that category, if they're just starting out as a coach, what do you think would be an essential coaching skill? What does a person really need to be able to do in order to coach another human being? Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's a really important question. And I'm always working on being a better coach too. You know, uh, I, I, I just love it when I have a session with somebody or a series of sessions and it's working. Mm. And um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those kind of continuous upward spiral things for me. And I guess if I really had, I I wrote seven things down to talk about here today with you, but if I had to prioritize one and one only, okay. I would say really understand the nature and use of well-formed outcomes. Okay. Well, what is how, what is that? Well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I do. Yeah, but... Okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It, 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 yeah. Well, it's running the hair here. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, you know, um, when people want to make the transition between A and B, they, uh, it, it's all too easy to use strategies that aren't really going to help you get there and use thinking that's not going to really help you get there and to use state management that's not really going to help you get there and then when you go try and operationalize it you know it's not it's not going to work so this is why bandler and grinder and company made such a big deal about well-formed outcomes and the whole thing from transformational grammar and noam chomsky and this body of work around well-formedness and semantics and it really maps over into what we're trying to do with coaching because we want to, we want people to tell us what they do want. We want them to it to be something that's in their control, right? Like, oh, I know, you, yeah, yeah, you want to, you know, make somebody else do something else. You know, hold on a second, that may not be so easy. Let's talk about what you want in positive terms, what you can control in reality. Mm-hmm aspirationally, you might be able to work to it, but it might also be completely unecological and you have no permission for it. You have no resource. So, um, the, you know, it's also really important, I think, to recognize that all behaviors have some type of intention that is for something that we think is right. And I know that sounds like just a massive global statement. You're certainly familiar with it, but for a gentle listener, be assured that all behaviors actually do have some type of positive intention. And uh, even no matter how weird they may appear or uh, awful they may seem. Um, And what we want to do with this well-formedness is we want to come up with solutions that are ecological for your life or for the life of your client. And they're going to match, right? It's going to be something that works for everybody that's concerned and the, it, it satisfies what's called a secondary gain. And, you know, people trip over this subject a lot when I try and talk about it. I certainly did before I really just decided to dig in and learn 
Um, the the uh, secondary gain is like, this is what I was doing, hoping that I would get that, right? To keep this thing in place, you know? The reason, the reason I, you know, did whatever it was that I did was because I was hoping for something else to work better. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's not, it, it, it's not really the primary thing. So we change what the gain is into the secondary gain is into something that more matches the positive intention we wish we could be expressing. So well-formed outcomes are super important because, you know, they, they, they just, they just, um, without well-formedness, I, I think we're completely at sea and we have no ecology to the changes we're trying to help people make. Can you give us very simple, what are the keys to a well-formed outcome? Uh, well, simply speaking, stated in the positive. So number one, stated in the positive. Number two? Under your control. Under your control. Maintains the positive intentions of the system that you're already in. Maintains the positive intentions of the system that you're already in. Okay, got it. Right. Um, is ecological for all concerned. Okay, good. Ecological for all concerned. Yeah. And I Anything can go else? further, but I don't think there's much use in it after that. I mean, there's other you could say. What would you add? I Just sensory specific is uh, one that I usually... Got to be able to be very specific about senses. Yeah. Right. Which is so a whole kind of other subject, and right. you know, but it's it's based it's based in reality. So it's what can you see that lets you know you've got that positive outcome. What will you hear when you have it? What will you, you know, exactly feel, taste, touch? You know, how how will you know it in that external reality that you've achieved this thing? So it's both an internal and, as you say, external. Both are satisfied that you've gotten this thing. One when of the most trying to help somebody construct an outcome if they can make that internal representation, like you mm -hmm. just described they're going to get a lot closer to being able to figure out if it's something they could do or not. Right, right, right. And I think that's really important for in the self-directed change work method, the foundations, what I call permission. You right. got to have that sensory specific information. And I, I, I kind of want to just make sure that it's stated in the positive mm -hmm. it's under your control. It maintains the benefits of the current, the current system, and it's got a good ecology to it. Yeah. After that, how our descriptions work are going to make all the rest of the difference. And just for, again, for the, uh, the listeners who might not understand the, the terminology, if they're not coming from an NLP background, what do you mean by ecology in this sense? Well, you know, everything kind of works in, in systems. And, mm -hmm. and, and so if, if, uh, if, if I come up with an idea that's good for me, but it's not good for my wife, it's not good for my colleagues, it's not good for my children, it's not good for my bank account, mm -hmm. that's not going to be a good ecology for my life. That's not going to fit in a system that is uh, whole and sane and sound and strong. Right. So right. ecology has to do with the operating environment the, 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 that, that you're in. And it, you could also call it context. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, it's kind of the context check, like, okay, it, this is life now. Is this going to work? Is this yes. good for everybody concerned? <clears throat> yeah. So if you make this change, what would be the consequences? What would happen if you did? What would happen if you don't? That right. sort of stuff. Now you can come along and enhance that with sensory information, mm -hmm. right? Describe yeah. that. How's it going to feel? What's that going to look like? What are yeah, you going to yeah. be hearing? Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. Wow. So, so you are you're launching into this into the world, perhaps uh, at long last, this um, self-directed change work. 
I, I am. I am. And I, and, and, and uh, so, um, I want to make sure that I mention one thing before okay. we get too deep into that. I want to learn how to think up to and beyond problem solving mm-hmm. and solution focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want people to be able to, so we talked about the well-formedness conditions for mm-hmm. desired outcomes, yeah. but I also think that it's important for people to go past problem solving and past solution focus. You know, Bill O'Hanlon's done a great job of bringing solution focus into psychotherapy. It's a great place for it, needs to be there, wonderful work. But when I'm coaching, I want to go back to that sanity piece and make sure that we've got durable answers that are going to last. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know what? I've also got to say that I want to join the client as they're having an experience of themselves in the here and now. And as they take counsel and reflect and make decisions and plan actions on their own mm-hmm. behalf, um, I want to be a co-experiencer of the client's maps and the territory of their lives and be with them, use skills to help them craft and hold a space for their transformation. I think that's, I think that's really important. Now, we could go further in coaching tools and talk about the, the pillars of NLP, rapport outcome, uh, senses, flexibility, and logical levels. That's super mm-hmm. important. Uh, but really, it's about process. And the parallel process that we spoke of a bit ago, internal, external, subjective, objective, if it's all focused on goals, we may forget about process. Yes, we need to attain real world results. And we also need to stay aware of how a person feels, what it's like for them, the internal process and what the experience is like. That's really important to me. What the experience is like. Yeah. What's that like? Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of getting it a little metaphorical there. What's it it is. It is, which is why metaphors show up in the place where people get tripped up, stress, control, expectations, metaphors, and self-talk. And you hear people use metaphors. Well, isn't that just my luck? Um, You know, the ain't it awful club, as Jack Canfield calls it. And, you know, stuck, stuck between a rock and a hard place, a rock and a hard place. You know, boy, I'm spinning my wheels. Yeah. And right. And you hear people use these different metaphors and you understand this is how they're representing it on the inside. Right. Right. So what is that experience like? Yeah. Very good. And so it makes a whole problem solution frame more congruent by bringing in sanity, safety, ecology, sustainability and thinking about like a goal isn't a goal unless it's well formed, which includes how it fits, how adding ease and fun and feeling like everything's okay. If we don't have, you know, Albert Bandura talks about in his social learning theory, uh, he talks about how states are so important to to managing change. And that's why I want kind of before we go ahead to the self-directed change work method and what I'm launching in the world, I want to talk about how knowledge gives us power and choices about how we can create safety, certainty, control, comfort, belonging, and the all-important experience of easier and more fun but the, also the all-important experience of being okay. If our well, states match what we're going for, we're going to have a lot easier time making it sustainable and having it stick. Right, right. So well, before we get to those things... I, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to any of that stuff, I would just like to say, 
we're out of time for today. <laughs> so oh, oh, let's pick okay. this up again next week. <laughs> I know, just, right? Because now yeah. I'm ready to talk tell you all about an integrated <laughs> set of coaching models that helps folks find ease in their experience. But we'll save that for another time. Yeah, we're going to have to, I'm afraid, because, you know, we want to respect people's time and they've probably driven to work by now or wherever they're listening to this. Um, but I do want to just ask you a quick question. Will you come back and tell us more? Oh, thank you. Yes, I'd love to. Okay. I, I'd love to. Because and, I'm, uh, I'm really curious about how, how it really, what it really looks like when you do coaching with somebody. I mean, are you doing hypnosis? Are you doing trance work? Are you doing processes? Do you get them up in their feet and walk towards their, you know, desired outcome on a timeline? I mean, how, how do you actually work with other people when you're doing coaching like that? And I, I'm very, very curious about how all of this really incredible um, detailed and thorough map by the way one needs thorough maps if you're going from uh, point a like for instance if you're going from my house to your house you know i'm in the hudson valley of new york city and you live out in oregon someplace on the coast i think somewhere right um, mm-hmm. if i wanted yes, to maybe. follow the oregon trail and get to where you are i would right. need a pretty detailed map to do that i guarantee you if you wanted to find this place you'd need a good map That's yeah true. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. One, one needs to know all these this different permutations and uh, that sort of thing. Having a, a well-formed outcome, absolutely great place to start. And once I get going, how do I negotiate this territory to get to where I want to finally end up in? And I, I want to find out more about how you do that, Jim Kelly. Uh, well, thank you for that. And as long as I live and breathe, I'll try to be able to teach you how to do it. And if you've had enough and you're determined and you're ready to learn, I'm sure you can do it too. And I, I think that's really the important message that I'd like to always leave people with is, listen, if you're if you if you really have had enough of where you were and you're determined to make a change, you can learn how to do it. I'm sure you can, because I've seen all kinds of people do it. So, yeah. So yeah, just myself, one, which looked pretty improbable once upon a time. I'll have to take your word for that. It doesn't seem possible. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, all right. Let me just ask you one last question for this episode is that if people do want to get hold of you, how do they do that? Do you have a website? Do you have a way of people can get hold of you and learn more? I'm I'm pretty easy to find uh, on on Facebook. Jim Kelly Change Works as uh, Change Work Essentials is uh, the kind of my my uh, group page um, that I'm going to be curating with more care and skill as things come up. Jim at changeworksinstitute.com. Changeworksinstitute.com. Jim so at changeworksinstitute.com. Is there, is there a website for changeworkinstitute.com? There is. Changeworksinstitute.com okay. uh, is my website. It's, uh, it, it's pretty, it, it represents reality pretty well for what my reality is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to reach and I'm, I'm always, I'm always happy to, uh, to give almost anybody a, a few minutes if I can, at right. the very least. And so if there's something Jim really cooking Kelly, and you're ready to go, we can do it. Jim Kelly is no longer under the radar. He is appearing on screens oh. all over. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. I love yeah. it. Well, you just kicked over the ant pile. Because now it's time for time <laughs> to really talk about it. And it's going right. to be a lot of fun. And I do yeah. want to come back and talk to you about this some more. And well, I look forward to it. I'll, I'll I'll try and uh, be a, uh, um, a a good a good guest for you and have a lot of fun doing it because this is a good time. Thank you for this. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. You bet.
Cheers. Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay curious. <laughs>